Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. If we're gonna tell a new story, if we're gonna think about the way in which a framework for a school might operate, we'd better talk to someone who's actually at it all every now and then, haven't we? We really need to talk to practitioners because they're the people at the cutting edge. They're the people who sit in between. They're the prosciutto in the sandwich of life, Adriano. And I can't think of anybody better for us to be talking to today than Eleni Caritza. She's the leader of curriculum innovation at Strathcona Baptist Grammar School for Girls in Melbourne. She's been recognised for her outstanding contributions to education. She's a delightful human being. She really understands our stuff. I can't wait to talk to her. I'm excited. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our series premium sponsor? Thanks, Adriano. Of course. We are delighted to be partnering with the team at Open Parachute. If you want to teach mental health to your students, but you don't have time to become an expert, Open Parachute can help. Learn more at openparachute.com.au. I'm really excited uh, to be again with you today, Phil. How is the beautiful weather in Fitzroy this morning? Look, I'm, I'm looking outside right now, Adriano, and it's, it's a little bit grey, but, you know, it's, mm. it, it matches the colour of my quinoa plants outside. Um, you know, right. As, you know, as you know, my back courtyard is entirely filled with quinoa plants and they flower and bloom at different times. Every now and then I have to, um, I have to uh, stop the natives from foraging on it. I'll come outside and find someone with a, a beard and tattoo and piercings just nibbling on the plants and you have to say, no, no, you have to wait and get that from the cafe down the road. But look, it's a lovely uh, day in Fitzroy. Phil, I thought, I thought grey was the colour of the basket on your fixie that you ride around Fitzroy in. Well, that too. We like to be colour coordinated here. Well, that's awesome. That's very awesome. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to stop this nonsense and because I want to really get to our very first guest and I'm super excited because I've long admired the work of, of Eleni. Uh, and so I've been fanboying you for some time now, Eleni, and uh, I'm really excited that you're part of this conversation, a conversation where we are going to really try and unpack intentional kind of curriculum design, but I want to get straight to it. And I want to ask you a question that we ask all of our uh, Game Changers guests, and that is tell us a little bit about your personal story, about how you've gotten to where you are today. Okay, so I this is my 10th year in education. So I started off in Catholic ed, and I remember when I first started, um, there were six little iPads sitting in the classroom and no one really used them. And I thought, right, let me get those and see what I can do. So I automatically became the tech person in the school from that um, by implementing them in the classroom. And from there, it just grew. So I then became leader of five, the year five sixes. And then I moved schools um, to another independent girls school here in Melbourne, where I worked for a number of years. And then I made the move to Strathcona Girls Grammar School. This is my fourth year now. And I had one last year half the year off with maternity leave so yeah and I've always been in sort of the tech sort of side of things with um, education and using that to really enhance the learning taking place in the classroom on the outside of 
school, I also started Teach Tech Play, which was an online webinar, which we would invite educators from around the world to share different lesson ideas and tools that they were using in their classroom. And that sort of grew into this conference of 300 educators coming together. Got a little bit out of hand, a little bit too big whilst working full time and sort of decided to take a step back at probably the most perfect timing with everything happening in the world um, and also life situation changes. And then, yeah, now I just sort of consult and help schools with curriculum and also work in my school part time with curriculum and innovation, which is a really exciting time. I've designed a whole curriculum program at my school, which is quite unique and um yeah, I'd then help others and do a little bit of work everywhere, really. I feel like I'm a, wherever someone asks for help, I'm just there and happy to help and support people in their own journey because everyone's on a different journey in education and we can all support each other. So that's a little bit about myself. That's awesome. Uh, I, I really want to kind of explore this kind of innovative program that you just kind of touched upon there towards the end of your response. You know, um, you've been awarded a, a number of recognitions by our industry. You know, there was in 2017, the ACCE Australian Educator of the Year Award. In 2016, the DLTV uh, Victorian uh, Educator of the Year. And of course, Strathcona uh, as, as a, an outstanding girls school has been recognised by the Australian Educational Awards for a whole range of different kind of, you know, innovative curriculum programs. And even just last year, they are recognised as one of the best STEM programs, you know, in the country. Can you perhaps explain to our listeners one of those innovative programs that you've implemented that you're extremely proud of and, and how did the young women at Strathcona respond to that kind of new type of learning encounter? Yeah, so for those who don't know too much about my school, Strathcona is an independent girls' school in the beautiful leafy green area of Melbourne. Um, to get a bit of context, within five kilometres, I think there's about six or eight other independent girls' schools. So it's quite a competitive area for girls' um, education in that private sector. And when I first moved to the school, they wanted to create something that made us stand apart from everyone else. So a lot of schools are, are using STEM, design thinking, you know, they follow a range of different programs. And when we looked at what we wanted to create for the girls at Strathcona, we pulled elements of all of these amazing programs. So we looked at the Stanford D School, we looked at STEM, including the arts, we looked at the integration of tech, we looked at design thinking, visible thinking, we looked at the Harvard Project Zero. And we sort of thought, now, what do we want for our girls? So that's when we put it together and that's when the Tinker Train was born. We wanted something that would be universal across the school for students when they start school all the way up to year nine, um, that a common language that they follow through in their lessons and the way we approach um, the use of technology and lesson design and learning. So the train concept um, has five carriages. It has gone through an, a few little tweaks along the way because I think whenever you're implementing something you always need to refine and relook at things um, once it starts going and you start working with it. So um, the first carriage is explore and that's where we sort of dive in and look at provocations and those immersion tasks to get our students really engaged with the learning. Then we start to identify and ask questions about those immersion tasks and what it is we want to know more about. Then we start to ideate and think of ideas of solving some of these questions and these problems that we've discovered. Then we create, we prototype, we do all of that. And the final step is that we share. And our train runs on a, 
um, a track, obviously, like most trains, that um, underpins all of our understanding. So this sort of whole concept was quite new to our staff. We were doing a lot of um, learning in school in silos. So everything happened on their own, particularly in the junior school. Um, so we just have integrated studies, English, math and everything else. And we, what we have been able to do is everyone now from our arts department to our music department to our languages all follow this same tinker train process. So we're starting to make those natural connections across the curriculum rather than seeing subjects taught in silos. And in education, we know there is so much in the curriculum to cover and it is almost impossible to fit it into the normal school day. And so with this train process, we can actually connect a whole lot of things together. Um, and when we implemented it, I think the main thing that we did different to other schools when they implement programs is my role wasn't timetabled. Um, I was there to support the teachers in the process. So in every school, no matter where you are, teachers have different abilities with technology, with understanding, years of experience from graduates to teachers who've been teaching for 20 odd years. So I went in and co-taught and designed with teachers. So it was really exciting to go in there and work with them alongside to design these amazing lessons for our girls. And now I've sort of taken that little bit of a step back to see and allow them to do it. So there was a bit of a co-coaching sort of role that I had in implementing it. And I think that's what made it as successful as it is today. It's really exciting that you're part of a learning community that gives the space and time for that kind of paradigm you've just described, because not only is it brave for a community to go down this uh, the framework of design thinking in many ways, that's the premise of, of of the framework that you've, you've just laid out for us uh, and our audience, but also the permission from the leadership to go, okay, well, we're now going to create a scenario where we're going to have a, a real collaboration in a classroom of, of, of two people coming together, or if not more, you know, working uh, uh, through this process to build the capacity of everyone, but also to, to, to show young women in particular in your context, the power of collaboration and why that's a significant part of of a design thinking process because so many steps along that way, particularly when you get to that iteration and prototype and you're testing it, well, you need feedback and, and you need, you know, you need critical kind of uh, discernment about whether it's working or not. How did the girls in particular respond yeah. to that kind of new approach to their learning? I must say the girls absolutely loved it. I think it was more of a fear of the teachers to sort of let the girls go and um, in that sense that the teachers didn't have control of everything they were doing. And for some teachers, the things that we were implementing from micro bits to, you know, SAM labs and different technologies in there as well, the teachers didn't know what to do. And, you know, I even went in there sometimes and I was like, I haven't explored everything. And I think it's good for the students to learn that us as teachers don't know all the answers either and that we took things from them as well. So allowing them to drive their learning and have that freedom of um, stepping outside of this is what you have to create, this is a rubric, this is, you know, sort of that um, chain line of, you know, process of everyone creating the same thing and learning the same thing. It allowed them to have that freedom to explore interests, bringing their own little um, own personalities to their work, um, which really shone out in different projects that they have done. But the girls have absolutely loved it. I think their biggest thing was the excitement when I was coming into the classroom because what amazing lessons are we doing now with our learning that we have done in the classroom? Where is this taking us next? So 
um, yeah, and the feedback from parents as well. They were like, they absolutely love it when you come in. And, you know, it was great to hear because we want our girls to have that joy of learning, to take those risks, to try stuff that they're not familiar with um, and really like sort of stretch their boundaries because there's so much content and content driven in the curriculum, especially girls. They've got a brain that thinks differently a lot of the time as well and to allow and to let them be free to explore that in the learning process has been really rewarding. Eleni, I'm really enjoying hearing you talk about your flagship program and there are many, many schools that use this strategy of design a flagship program around which we can sort of congeal everything in a community. So I want to, I've got two or three questions I want to tease apart some certain aspects of it I think the first thing I want to do is I, I want to note you know you, you you've talked about this program as being a vehicle for creating a common language where you're removing silos you've got shared process and purpose um, and it's, it's it's a way of connecting people but most schools don't work like this do they in most schools people don't want to work in this fashion so you have to convince them to do that what makes a difference in your school about making this real? How is it that you've been able to help folk to work in this way? I think any school that you go into, there's always people in schools that feel, you know, we've done it this way, you know, we bring in new programs all the time, they last a few years and then they go away again. But I think with the staff at my school, they were willing, they could see that they needed something. They had started doing a bit of the visible thinking and getting the girls to think outside the normal sort of subject areas, but they were missing that connection of what it actually was. So bringing that together and having something there um, and that common language really helped drive it. At the beginning, a few teachers would come to me with ideas. We've always done this in our classes and then, right, okay, that's an awesome project but let's just enhance it a little bit more so in our year six they look at energy and um, they would build these sustainable houses out of recycled materials and I would sort of say so what's the real purpose behind this and it was a great lesson the girls would think of different things they could build in their house and different changes they could make to building houses but then we took it that step further where we actually incorporated SAM labs and micro bits so the girls could then code and program and actually prototype these little houses and their own little inventions. So things like when you walked on the floor, the lights would turn on and things like when you actually locked the house, all the PowerPoints, all the, everything turned off straight away. So you didn't have, so it would save energy in different ways. And so that thinking took it that next step once we incorporated those technologies. So even though the teachers weren't confident with implementing that area I was able to go in and support them and the excitement from the students once they were able to take that next step and bring something else into their learning just transformed and then teachers start talking and they start saying oh look what we did and we did a lot of things around the school where we would have mini little teach meets with our staff at PDs where um, little projects we would have them share to the whole school and then it started this conversation around staff asking others that was awesome can you share a little bit more of what you did and wanting to incorporate things in their own lesson I think also it has to come from the top so we have an amazing leadership team who are really supportive who sort of allow me and my team to sort of go with what we know um, and have a go and I think that is missing in a lot of schools as well. A lot of things that have to be data-driven before they're implemented. But we know that with the data, with this sort of design thinking and these processes of STEM and everything, it's a different process. It doesn't, 
Of course, it improves results over time and we're seeing that more and more because of the thinking and the deeper understanding of concepts. But at the time, it's not there, but we could see and our leadership could see that particularly in a girls' school, we want them to be empowered to make change in their lives, not just now but also in the future, and they need those skills for the who knows what the future is going to bring. I, I don't like to predict anymore because every day I think we live hour by hour these days, but, you know, we want to prepare them to have their say, be independent women who can stand up and voice what they want or their ideas, as silly as they are, because I think we've noticed also kids as they go through school and develop up become more driven by grades rather than their thinking and having a go and asking questions. And we needed something to support them in opening up and allowing them to have a go and it's okay to make mistakes. So I think as soon as teachers sort of also saw that, um, they were really willing to do it. And it's been a massive shift, but a really good one. And staff have really embraced it. There's so much in there that you're talking about there, Eleni. I, I want to pick up on a couple more aspects, but before I do, I just want to know if I, if I package all of that up, Adriana, that looks like intentional purposefulness to me in everything that you're doing there, you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, so we know what we want to achieve and we want to infuse this deep purpose in all of it. And there's all sorts of components. There's a second piece around it was about the human-centered aspect of it. This is a learning framework. This is a whole approach, a program. It's enhancing students' creativity, the critical thinking, the communication, the collaboration, the citizenship, the it's all the C's in there. And Adriano, we love C's, don't we? C's are good. Yes. yes. Particularly <laughs> Cummins's, but that's all right. This very deep and powerful learning in schools is important, particularly... Pay attention to this, Adriana, because I've never heard you talk about this before. Oh, here we go. by design thinking, okay? So, and you've talked about all of that design thinking, and that's, that's, that's absolutely fabulous. What I'm interested in is about the whole person. So, not just about the competencies that students are gaining, which you've spoken to already, but about their overall character and their wellness. How is how is the Tinker Train, how is this program supporting the development of the whole person? So I think when we're looking at students and developing their character, it doesn't matter whether they're academically advanced or they're the those students who need the extra support. With the framework we've created, it allows all students to shine at their own ability. We have students in the lower end who need those supports come out and actually teach something new to the whole class, something that they've enjoyed and had a passion for, being able to drive that. And I think that's really important that we don't always just look at those um, high achieving students. And a lot of these STEM sort of programs are always aimed at those students, but those students who do struggle, these programs really support them to develop that meaning and develop that connection to learning and allows them to make and create. Um, I think sometimes we forget about actually holding learning and playing with learning helps us understand concepts better than reading and writing. So bringing that back into the learning process has really supported those students and allowed them to speak up and find their voice and um, you know make new friendships. It's amazing. Uh, some of the girls are like, I always work with these people and they, I know they're my good friends, but I'm actually going to treat someone different and I think that's a really important thing as well in developing that positive character to be able to work with different personalities and to see different ideas in a different way so 
we allow for that and we help our girls in accepting each other and listening and finding new things that they may not have thought were an interest to them, but now they are interested in pursuing different career choices and things as well. And, and the wellness side? The wellness side. They're all they're pretty, I must say, if you haven't worked in a girls' school, they are the most adoring, beautiful things. And just the positive attitude to school, the positivity, the love of learning, they get so excited for when it's tinker time or they're doing this project. Um, Parents are like, I couldn't get them to go away. They wanted to go to the shops. They wanted to bring stuff in because they just had this new love for what they were doing. So overall, it's been a massive positive experience to learning and their own self. And um, yeah, it's been great. Let's pause for a moment to remind our listeners about the important work of Open Parachute for wellness in schools. You know your students are struggling with their mental health, but you're not a trained therapist. Open Parachute can help you. Learn more at openparachute.com.au. Yeah, I love hearing you talk about a girls' school. Uh, I've really, really fond memories of working for Joe Carolis at St. Catharines in Sydney and uh, Julie Gillick at uh, Frencham in uh, the beautiful Southern Highlands. Uh, and uh, Julie's just retired um, from that gig and was just awarded an Order of Australia medal for her contribution. Oh, wow. So so props to Julie. Just any, any, any time to shout out a great educator is a good thing. I have one, uh, one, one more thing I want to tease out. You've talked a lot about technology. Technology is deep in your background as well. And I think it, ha- like, practically it has to be, t- I want to go beyond practically. I want to ask why do schools need to be technology enriched? You know, we spent 30 years trying to enrich our classrooms and our learning and we struggle with this. Why do we need to prepare kids? When I first sort of moved to Strathcona and I started in this tech sort of role, I started as a tech sort of support person in the school, the techie person I like to call it. And I soon realised with my years of teaching now that Tech underpins everything that we do and it shouldn't be seen as a separate thing happening to everyday, our everyday lives. Tech underpins curriculum, it underpins everything and the last year I think really shows how important tech is to keep us connected. Um, we also had been doing a lot of things in the process and then when COVID hit, it actually fast-tracked everything for us at our school as well. And what our staff have achieved in the use of tech in the classroom has not only transformed themselves, their teaching, but the girls as well. So the way that they have learned to utilise technologies like the pen and different things and just think differently and collaborate with online tools. Um, Tech's not going to go away as much as we want to think that it is. And the more we embrace it and incorporate it in our education system, the more it will support our students. Um, they're using it no matter what. They're going to have it at home. They're going to have it when they're out in the big world. But it's about us showing them how to use it in the right way and also showing them the potential of what things come from technology. You know, we wouldn't have light. We wouldn't have heat, air conditioning, any of that. All of that is forms of tech. I think a lot of people automatically in schools just think of tech as a laptop or a device or or robotics but tech is all around us in everything we do every day from turning on lights to watching tv to driving your car tech surrounds us so we have to embrace that and go with it and to block it out of school is not doing justice for any students really yeah look i I think it goes i think it actually goes further now i think we actually have a moral responsibility exactly associated with, with 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 this we are we are preparing students 
to thrive in their world. Their, their world is technologically enriched. If we imagine that education can be without that, that or that somehow tech is what you do while you're waiting for the real learning to resume, uh, that sort of nonsense, you know. That's and there's no point putting like blinkers on that, no, they won't be doing the wrong thing either. It's also about educating them about how to behave and act online and positive relationships, how to email and all of that. You know, they're life skills that students mm. need today. And, you know, a lot of parents don't know this sort of thing. So we as schools, we're sort of their only port of call as well to learn and know the right way to go about things. So, yeah. I've been really enjoying the, the conversation between both of you in the last few minutes and particularly this last point around the focus on digital technologies. And, and we understand that, you know, one of the foundational literacies going forward has to be digital literacy. As you've just highlighted, it, it's so pervasive in all of our lives. I actually want to um, continue to kind of interrogate the, the line of thinking that you shared with us before around or towards this notion of self-determination. Because so much of what you shared uh, is in that space and, and around the notion of student agency in school communities. It's often the least discussed, but yet I kind of feel that it's the most important aspect of creating a fundamental change in, in the way in which we work. Uh, and so much of it is around, about around the inherent trust that we have, that, that young people are curious, they're creative beings, they've got a, a, a value to add, uh, they need to be heard, they need to be seen and to contribute. So I'm, I'm interested to know in, to, to what extent are learners in, in your school community ready now and able to pursue learning on their own terms, deciding for themselves what, when and how to learn? Yeah, I think um, a prime example is we have a lot of um, hearing impaired students at our school and this week alone a year four student got up at assembly and shared a presentation that she made in the holidays to share with the whole school to how we can support them better um, in the classroom and she brought things to my attention that I hadn't even contemplated as a teacher and I felt terrible in myself and you know we think we're doing sometimes the best we can for our students especially these students who have hearing impaired vision issues learning difficulties but it's about empowering students to actually talk up and when they see something if people don't know to actually voice their opinion and something as simple as putting captions on videos when we play them to students in a classroom I didn't realize that with all the background noise the um uh the we call them the Rogers I think that's a global term the Roger picks up on that and they can't understand so simple things of holding a piece of paper in front of your face they need to see our lips to understand us and you know her video only went for two minutes through the whole school but it was amazing in the way that as a teacher, I sort of took a step back and thought, oh my gosh, I've never even thought of this. How can I then support them further? And I think that student agency may not even just come out from the teaching, the lessons that you do, it might come out through their own passion, something they do at home. But we need to celebrate them and share that with the school community because we all have different interests. Like another girl last year in lockdown started a knitting club. So we supported her and created a new team where it was a knitting group which would come together every Tuesday lunchtime and knit together and I think you know if girls have passions or anyone has a passion as schools we need to support and embrace and help them along the way to have their voice heard and to see that you don't just do learning in school it can happen in any way and sometimes it might be just to inform someone it might be to share other ideas or 
yeah, it's just amazing when they start to bring things to you. I think that's the biggest joy I have and that has really changed in the girls' character and their also confidence in themselves. I know Phil is going to explore this notion of diversity in a moment because you've just kind of touched upon that so much of, of the learning paradigm that you're advocating for and that is that is part of the culture of Strathcona is this deep sense of belonging, you know, uh, and, and inclusiveness of all people irrespective of ability, race and so on. I know he's going to explore that in a moment, but I want to, I want to come back to, to this, this kind of digital tech conversation that we're having, uh, uh, that we had previously as well. You know, the world of information and knowledge is increasingly becoming complex. And I often ask, are we able as learning communities to discern truth from lies, reality from fantasy, the fact from opinion in a world where we have access to an abundance of knowledge, information, people and and technologies? How does your school in particular, Strathcona, currently define digital literacy or even media literacy? Yeah. So I think digital literacy is growing in crazy rates we have from america to current global pandemics the information that is out there is majority a lot of it is fake we like to say but it's also i'm exposing students to let them see and determine what is this and how do we understand it and we set provocations we put things up to provoke their thinking and then analyze it and i think through the visible thinking routines that you know you can really unpack those as well We have an amazing library um, resource centre who come in and do specific lessons with our students. We also have um, cyber safety lessons that we incorporate in our Digitech time where we unpack fake news and look at these. And these are things that, you know, I did a simple lesson this week with some of our girls looking at passwords and going over what makes a strong password. And some of them at the end were like, I need to go home and teach this to my mum. She should have been in here because her password's terrible. It won't, it doesn't meet any good criteria. And, you know, and just those sort of things that they're starting to realise and then take it home and to look at different things and think, is that actually true? And it's okay to question the world around us and not to believe every single thing we see and to go and find our own answers. And I think the Tinker Train allows for that in that questioning stage where they really get to deepen their understanding and explore things that they wonder about to go and say, well, is this actually true? And what tells me this is true? And how can I do my own research to inform myself more as well? You're really cultivating this powerful community of inquiry and practice. You know, this deep dive around the theory and the content and then its application into kind of real world context. Why is intentional curriculum design so important to you? Curriculum design, it's something I've become more passionate about over the years. It used to be tech and I love the tech and integrating. And now when I look at curriculum design, I love seeing it as more than just tech and that and seeing it underpinning everything we do. The curriculum is something that, you know, we have standards and as a school, we have to meet the curriculum standards that are set by the government. You know, we have to use that. We have to drive that. And it's great because it allows us to cover a range of topics. But the way we cover them, I think, is where we get to have fun. They are very much black and white, but we want the girls to think beyond there. So to take the role and to take the on the character of, so we're looking at explorers, for instance, in year four. So having the girls actually put themselves as Captain Cook or an Indigenous Australian and how do they feel and start to create their own sort of self and understanding beyond that. So rather than just learning the black and white of this happened and history, 
but actually taking it further and thinking, so what can I now do with this information I know to make change in the future? And I think that's a really important thing when you're looking at curriculum. A lot of it is black and white. A lot of it is Googleable. And, you know, we talk about that a lot as well of if the students can Google it, then why do we have to teach it in that sense as well? We want them to be on thinking beyond that, beyond just finding the answer, um, to really question the world around them and to think beyond those curriculum core descriptors. And, you know, they're not checkpoints where we tick off. They're drivers for our thinking. I like to see them more. So you're talking here, Eleni, about the way in which schools just can't operate exclusively in their local context. It's not just about the silos within schools, but it's the notion of the school as a silo. It's also the notion of, uh, of content and curriculum operating without its framework of values and beliefs, without its moral underpinnings sitting there. And it's about connectedness and, and about that notion of being people and place and planet conscious. You talk about your school working to build a better world. I want you to unpack for me very specifically how that happens because everyone says they're doing it, don't they? It's like it's like everyone says they're doing excellence in education and you know most people aren't, not most of the time. They're doing some pretty good stuff, but they're not actually pursuing excellence. And if you'd ask them to pin it down, they, they start to get a little bit vague around this. I know you're not vague about this and I know that you've thought about this very carefully. How is your school working to build a better world? I think that when we think about a better world, we want, when our students leave Strathcona, we want them to be independent women who can talk, who can voice their opinion, who can share a think of ideas on their own and be happy in themselves and willing to be continuous learners. I think that, you know, if we all sort of embrace that, no matter where you are in the world, I think the whole world would be a better place. We don't know what our girls are going to eventually do in five, ten years' time. You know, they might be the next prime minister. They might be the next person to solve a cure for cancer. That would be amazing. But, you know, it's about them just being independent women who know their rights, who have a voice, who continue to learn and seek information and ideas. And that's what I think that the whole school is sort of trying to achieve there are little aspects here and there where we look at global goals, we look at things happening around the world in our curriculum areas. But at the end of the day, to be a real world person, we want these students in our care to be these amazing people once they leave. And I think by the nurturing environment, the curriculum that we bring in, the thinking processes that our girls have to see the world, um, we're quite a small independent school as well, which I also think helps support them in allowing them to flourish, really helps them to take on that world. And, you know, I, I think we're doing a great job, but we don't exactly know, like you said, what really shows us that we're doing that. And I know that the girls, when they leave our school, they're happy, they're independent women, they're great. But yeah, it's a tricky one to say, like, how does it exactly look? Because you can't actually measure something like that. It's something that you know there will be aspects here and there and there's we want to just do the best we can to support them in that process I guess. Well Annie, I'm, I love listening to you talk about education anybody who thinks you need 40 years experience in the game to know what needs to be done is just kidding themselves really aren't they. I think one of the things that differentiates your generation from from uh, dinosaurs like the Prado and me and, and and those that sort of that those that came. Just you Phil, just you Phil. <laughs> Like, oh, sorry, sorry, mate, sorry, sorry. Um, uh, I think one of the things around it is that you are further away from that sort of mid-20th century notion of the average. 
So the 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 environment, I guess, that uh, that us old folk grew up in and that we inherited, and so on. We started to play with the notion that individuals have a place in the world, and that and and therefore that you you don't just have to conform to a mould, to an average. You don't have to, it's not one size fits all. And we've tried over time to learn how to personalise an education. Again, it's like excellence. People say they do it and I'm not convinced at all that people really know how to do it yet. We're just on the journey to think about systems around that. I think one of the ways in which the world really has changed um, and it's changing very, very fast is the notion of diversity and that we've come to accept that we can't just pitch at the median We've got to be prepared to have a community that goes several standard deviations from the median and embrace the wholeness of a community and all the people within it and all their various different constituent parts. This goes beyond simply having a diversity statement or a, you know, a pride day or, a, or, a, or you know, an Indigenous dance day or something like that that shines a light on a particular group in the school community for a moment and then we can push it aside for the rest of the year. What does it look like when inclusion and belonging are genuinely infused through, throughout school culture, in curriculum, content of learning, in hiring, in promotional practices, in, in healthy relationships across generations roles, what characterises a diverse school? I think it's a place where everyone is just happy to come and learn with each other. Um, I think, you know, as you said, a lot of these things are hard to measure and you can't actually measure a lot of these things. But when we look at diversity, it's a place where everyone is welcome. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has their in place where they feel they can belong. And, you know, last year, especially with COVID, and I know as soon as we all walked back in those gates at the start of the year, it was like this reconnection of everyone feeling like we belong again. I don't think I'll ever hear a kid ever again say, I don't want to go to school um, <laughs> after, <laughs> after that long of home learning, you know. We loved the home learning at the beginning and we got used to it, but that sense of walking in those school gates and having that sense of, I belong here, this is like a home. Kids spend the majority of their day at a school, you know. Um, for some kids, they see their teachers longer than they see their parents throughout a day. So creating a culture in a school of this nurturing, welcoming place where everyone's welcome, everyone has a voice and that we all care for one another I think is a really key thing for that sense of diversity and bringing and uniting people. It's not about segregating or anything. If something happens, we're all in it together. We can all support and help along the way. I think that's really powerful, Eleni. And, and, and as I said before, it starts with that kind of deep sense of belonging that you've just articulated beautifully and with, with welcome and so on. I remember working in a school um, many, many years ago where uh, there were some issues around behaviour of, of the students uh, and but the school had no kind of framework around simply welcoming people. They had this, this, this list of everything you can't do, but it actually, and so they just assumed that the kids know what they have to do. And I went, well, how, do, how can you just assume? I mean, these are young people who are under construction still, you know, they're still developing. They're still, you know, and, and we have to kind of set some standards around how to welcome, how to make people feel belonging, how to be belong, to feel belong, you know, to, to ensure that issues of, of discrimination in any form are not tolerated uh, and, and are addressed really quickly. So thank you for very much for sharing that. You know, my final question before I hand over to Phil to wrap wrap up this, this really, really engaging conversation is that, you know, against the context of unparalleled challenges and complexity and uncertainty, I mean, you just touched upon, you know, the notion of last year and, and what we have experienced in, in the state of Victoria, 
how might we learn, live, lead and work with fearless inquiry to face an unknown and turbulent future with hope and optimism? Building and celebrating each day at a time because we don't know what's going to come next. We don't know what tomorrow will bring realistically. If we live hour by hour, some days it feels like. And I think just embracing the positives in the classroom, embracing students, celebrate the little things. Um, you know, if something does go wrong and someone does do the wrong thing, use that as a learning thing. You know, I said to students yesterday when we're going over our user agreement for using digital technologies in the school, and I said, you know, your parents will always love you. Even when you do the wrong thing, they will still love you. They may get angry at you, but they'll still love you. And I think it's the same in the school. We are all going to make mistakes, but we learn from those mistakes. And that sense of belonging and all of that encompasses what we do and where we're going to go. Yeah, I don't know what the future brings, but I think if we just support our students and their well-being in everything that we do, I think that's what we've got to look at in education today rather than sometimes ticking off boxes of curriculum and grades and everything because it's that sense of belonging and wellness of people, I think, um, which will drive the future of this unknown world that we live in today. Eleni, well, it's been an absolute privilege having a wee chat with you today, learning about how you navigate with a compass of character, a compass of competency, a compass of wellness, um, you know, and, and find your way through everything that we're doing. You're doing great work. It's a real privilege to share what you're doing at the chalk face with educators all over the world. Thank you for being part of the Game Changers podcast series. And um, we wish you very, very well um, for the year ahead and also with your new baby girl and that uh, beautiful boxer dog of yours. Yes, he's sleeping on the bed. But, yes, I, I just want to say a huge thank you for inviting me on. Um, you know, I feel privileged to work in education and feel privileged for the opportunities I have been given. I'm still learning as well. I don't know all the answers, but I'm willing to learn and ask and seek. And I think that's what everyone in education should do. Keep asking questions along the way and supporting each other because we can all get through it and create these amazing young people for the future of our world. So thank you so much for having me and I've really enjoyed being on your show today. Eleni, you're a great example of, you know, our notion of continuous learner and unlearner. So it's been awesome having you on today. Thank you very much. And we only wish you well going forward. Thank you. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.